The information in this podcast is current on the day of recording. It is general advice only and does not take your personal situation into account. It may not be suitable for you. Participants in this podcast may also own the stocks discussed. For a full list of current recommendations and stocks owned by staff, members of Intelligent Investor can visit www.intelligentinvestor.com.au. Welcome to the final stock take for 2019. My name's Gaurav Sodhi. Joining me today is research director Nathan Bell. Hey, Nathan. Hi, Gaurav. Hi, Mickey. And yeah, well, I was going, you spoiled it, spoiled it, Nathan. I was going to surprise <laughs> everyone. <laughs> also joining me is, uh, is Mickey Arnold. Hey, Mickey. Thanks, Gaurav. So well, the three of us are here basically because we're the only ones left at this stage of the year. Everyone else has sort of jumped away to holidays. So congratulations, boys, for hanging around this long. Committed. Committed, yeah. We're the only uh, hardworking ones here. Um, Mickey, you've been hard at work. You've written a review of a new business that we've never covered before called Objective. And this is part of your series on um, some new tech names that you've been looking at. So tell us a little bit about Objective, what it does, why you're looking at it, and we'll get to whether it's interesting or not. Yeah, so Objective Corp specializes in document management software, uh, and it's carved out a um, specific niche catering to uh, government departments and councils and things like that that have a kind of a special use for it. Um, so I guess for, for most people, um, most businesses uh, tend to gravitate towards things like Microsoft SharePoint mm. because um, lots of businesses obviously use Microsoft Word and Excel. Um, so they've had to um, target a slightly different area uh, where you know governments have kind of quite strict um, requirements about how they store uh, information um, how quickly they have to be able to retrieve that information uh, and, and, and how that information is, I guess, controlled. So, uh, yeah, it seems uh, to be a well-run business. The share price has um, lifted quite, quite a lot recently. I think it's up almost doubled, more than doubled, actually, in the past couple of months. Taken 30 years to become an overnight sensation. <laughs> yeah, it seems that way. Um, so, yeah, and, and, and obviously Tony Walls is um, the founder and probably the, the guy that's, that's been driving... Um, that that success for for a long time, so I guess it's been a slow and steady type approach. Um, Profitability's kind of been pretty flat for a long time, even though revenues have grown, and I guess that's just because he's been quite um, uh, strict about you know consistently reinvesting in in the product and uh, you know hiring new people, new developers to continue um, improving that product and 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 really focusing in on ha- making sure they have the best the best product um, in that in that specific niche. So, so Mickey, niche is a really interesting place for investors. It, it does mean that you can create a tailored product um, for your specific customer, but it also means by the very n- nature of being a niche product that your growth path is is probably smaller than it would be for a Microsoft, which has a much bigger TAM sure. total addressable yeah. market. So uh, how do you balance those things? Is there actually a, um, a a growth future for Objective or is it always going to be a, a little niche player? Yeah, I guess that the way it, it's... I did did kind of quiz them a little bit about this. Um, and I think the, the idea was generally that they're, they're probably quite reluctant to move into other areas. And I think that the main logic for that was well then you are competing against some of these bigger names mm. uh so yeah it seems like they're going to have to stick to to this they might make some small acquisitions here and there um but yeah so growth will have to come from uh either you know in you know expanding government departments for example you know because they charge 
um, you know, sometimes on a per user basis or mm. uh, based on the actual amount of documents stored and things like that. So okay. I guess there is some natural growth and, um, you know, there's uh, CPI tied in. I mean, they haven't got 100% market share, obviously. We don't quite know what the market share is and even management didn't know what it was. So, um, you know, there's still a path for them to, to grow within that space, right. I'd say. Um, but it, it is one of those things where, um, you know, you... you, you yeah, it, it's a strength, but it's also kind of a, yeah. I guess, a weakness. So you want to be careful about the price that you pay yeah. uh, is kind of the important thing. Whereas, yeah. um, you know, it's so, sort of similar to something like class, I guess, where, mm. um, you know, it's kind of, uh, you know, you can see that when the market can see kind of the, um, the, the addressable market is limited, uh, we kind of laugh at it, but it's, it's true, mm. um, you know, how hard it can be to actually open up new ways of growing and, and making money. So. Yeah, it's an important point. There are some stocks where the price you pay matters a lot, and there are some that it matters less. I mean, it's always important, but in some stocks, if they're growing really fast, they probably have a bit more leeway about the price you pay. I put objective into the category where the price matters a fair bit, and I would have put this, said the same thing about class, and I did in the class dragons then, Nathan, but that didn't stop everyone else, and class has, what, doubled since then? No, it's an, you could have an interesting general discussion, I think, about situations like class... Mm -hmm. Uh, I think what's interesting about objective is, one, we don't know a lot about how the contracts are structured, and I think it creates a nice, interesting general discussion about insider owners, which is something I'm always looking for, uh, and it's also part of the reason why Smart Group's share price has fallen so hard with the, the insider that's been there for 15 years is, is departing. Uh, and again, we could have a general discussion about whether you should just have a blanket rule of selling out every time the insiders sell out. but. Uh, the interesting thing about blanket rules is you can find exceptions to them over and over. Uh, but with Objective, we don't know much about the contracts and how they work. Um, and I think normally that's something that I would think is very important because you want to understand how long the contracts are for, um, you know, with, are they volume-based, what sort of price increases are they getting over time. But with an insider owner with, uh, is it 30%, I think, of the stock? Or is it more oh, he owns two-thirds of two the 60%, company. 60%, yeah. sorry. And, and, it, and I haven't seen him sell basically any shares. For, I went through, I think, the last 20 years, I couldn't see, I think he sold anything. So I, I could be wrong about that, but he, yeah. yeah. And it's interesting, <laughs> you in a situation like that where you've got a founder, you're almost prepared to trust him without that information, whereas if there's not an insider there and there's a corporate CEO maybe hasn't been there very long, you're much more unlikely to want to put money into that stock. Uh, but I think there's also it's also interesting that this guy's been running this business for 30 years. I've never heard of him. I'd never heard of Objective Corp until mm -hmm. last year for the first time. But it's been around for decades. And, you know, finally his hard work, in a sense, is almost getting rewarded big time because software companies are flavour of the month. And it's interesting he hasn't sold any shares. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I was w thinking about that as well. When when Mickey brought this up internally, I thought, yeah, the same thing. He's a, he's a business that's been run for 30 years without me ever hearing about it. And I wonder what that says about where we are in the market and about software as a um, as a bit of an investor favor at the moment that a business like this sort of surfaces to the top yeah. um, of, of our attention pile. Yeah. Well, I guess it also had, you know, just um, a big, big year in terms of cash as right. well. Uh, and so maybe that found its way onto maybe some more people's screens yeah, yeah, and no things doubt. like that. Um, the most interesting thing, though, for me about about the business now is just the fact that its revenue model is changing. Um, similar to RPM Global, which was really interesting because the underlying economics of the business were, were not reflected in the accounting. Um, uh, um, Objective is also going through its own um, revenue change. And 
Mickey, just explain to us why that could be potentially interesting. Well, I, I mean, so as as they go from, um, you know, seventy uh, percent. So at the moment, seventy percent of their revenue is recurring, and so that means they moved it over to, um, you know, the cloud. What tends to happen, obviously, is that um, instead of getting these big upfront fees, you know, for a lifetime, um, you know, type type package, uh, you're, you're you're transitioning to receive those fees over you know a long period of time, and so profitability does take a hit in the short term. Uh, but that can, as you say, like for example, with RPM, um, can be the uh, can be the opportunity because it can be hard for investors mm. to see if they just look at the numbers. They go, "Well, revenue's not growing; it's not going anywhere." But then, if you have an idea of um, that transition, then then um, that should be good news for the revenue over the longer yeah. term. So, so, so short short term, um, it looks as though the business is going backwards, even though it's attracting a lot more customers because. Um, it, the revenue is paid over a longer period of time. Um, so it, the, the accounting treatment doesn't give an accurate um, indicator of the actual underlying performance of the mm. business, and that's the opportunity. I'm surprised the market hasn't caught on to this yet. Cause you see this time and time again, and every now and again it does throw up an opportunity, but I'm mm. surprised we're still um, seeing that inefficiency um, repeated again. But it probably tells you something about the role of algorithms in trading now. They're just so much more prominent in the market and they're not very good at making distinctions um, between revenue models like the, the way you probably need to to mm. get to the bottom of objective. Mm. So, Mickey, where does that leave us? You've had a bit of a look at it. Um, the business looks okay. Um, you sort of indicated that it's not really cheap enough considering how it's growing. What are your plans with the company now? Is this a potential? Is this good enough to one day pop onto the buy list? Yes, I think so. It's just a case of waiting for the price to come to us. I think um, what we've managed to do, hopefully over the last few months, is get across some more of these uh, better, better quality businesses, and then hopefully, if we ever do get, um, you know, a, a downturn, hopefully we can get the price coming to us, so we don't need to, um, you know, rush or stretch to hopefully, you know, try to buy these things, you know, right now. But we can always, now that we have built up a little bit of knowledge about these businesses, we can come back to them if the price ever takes a dip so um yeah just looked a little bit expensive right now but definitely one to keep an eye on so nathan it's tricky isn't it um what looks to be a pretty decent quality business um th that perception can suddenly change as we found out with smart group can we talk about smart group just for a few minutes sure um so we're at a stage now where it looks quite cheap in terms of the numbers although the stuff that's been happening um, operationally can look a bit scary. So tell us what your latest thinking is on Smart Group and what we should be doing. Yeah, so I think there's a more general issue here about buying statistically cheap stocks. And uh, at the moment, it actually looks very cheap on the numbers and certainly looks... I mean, remember up until recently, this was a company that had gone up... Share price had gone up over tenfold. Uh, it had a CEO there, Devin Billamoria, who been there for I think since 2004 and he's been responsible for that he's made some wonderful acquisitions the industry sector has consolidated you've got two essentially major players now so and uh, profitability is very good you know when you're in those situations where uh, for lack of a better word a duopoly uh, you know they can often just start fighting against each other for customers but there's been none of that so there's, mm -hmm. there's good returns on capital in the business and look like a bit of a hero to start with. I, in fact, I don't actually think I've ever had a stock go up so fast so quick and then go so far <laughs> down so quick. This has all happened in five months. It's mm. quite incredible. And you sit here and ask yourself, well, what's really changed? 
and the main thing that's changed is you've got a cornerstone investor who's been there for uh, forever. He sold out. Then, oh, it's like literally a week later, two mm. weeks later, there's Devin Billamoria says he's not going to hang around and he's going to leave in February. So, so he sold some of his shares recently, but um, I haven't seen any notice that he sold more shares, but I'm assuming he's going to have to sell his remaining shares at this depressed price. I don't think he'll hang on to his shares once he leaves. And they announced uh, the CFO, uh, Tim Louie, and to take over, which from everyone I spoke to that uh, had been followed this company for longer than I had, spoke highly of him, thought he was a sensible choice. He's been in the business for a decade and that usually augurs well for the business. You've got an insider that takes over. It's usually a sign of a well-managed business. And, and it's not news, but this is definitely going to be lower growth in the future just because those big acquisitions aren't available anymore. But more recently, the company had been doing pretty well to hold margins where they were, giving people were spending, uh, rolling over more of their old um, contracts with their existing cars and spending less on new cars. So neither of those are, are tailwinds for the business. It's quite the opposite. So the only thing that's really changed so far is you've got insiders selling out. And mm. again, we can talk about it, but you could have a blanket rule of just selling out when the insiders sell out because they're the ones that know the most information. Uh, secondly, there was a fairly small profit downgrade. Um, the rival, biggest rival, Macmillan Shakespeare, also had a profit downgrade, but it uh, wasn't huge. And so, you know, cyclical cyclicality is always a worry for any business, but uh, it has a really good client base in the public service sector uh, and jobs are growing there. So... Uh, maybe not necessarily anything to worry about, or it certainly wasn't isn't news. Uh, everyone knows that car sales have fallen off a cliff in Australia and, and the US. Uh, and then we got this insurance announcement uh, just a couple of days ago where um, there was no sign-off from the CEO. It said the board essentially announced the announcement, which was weird, uh, given that Devin Billamore is there. And you've got the CFO mm. um, there as well, so neither of them signed off as the CEO. Uh, although it said contact Tim Louie if you want to get the details, but there was no information about the insurance change. They used an after-tax number based on what's left of this annual year, uh, which is really, really poor. They should be using a full pre-tax number and then talking about what the impact's going to be on a full year. So that was just a really, really poor uh, announcement on top of a situation that was already looking, making you wary uh, about what the future holds. So um, that's where we are, but now the share price is you know not far away from i think it went up uh, when we originally bought in the funds was like eight dollars and then when i come back to the subscription business i think we upgraded it just over nine dollars it raced up to 12.50 should have sold it in hindsight but we're long-term investors and it didn't look completely mm. outrageous i think the price to earnings multiple was only 18 times but again you've got to be careful like a per price to earnings ratio doesn't tell you anything, it's just a snapshot in time. So again, it's, that, it's more about the quality of the business and um, your expectations and all those sort of things rather than just looking at the number. But it, it, again, if this was a business that was just going to tick over, um, you know, plenty of cash on the balance sheet, more special dividends, trading at a over 4% fully fact dividend yield, like there's a lot to like here, mm. uh, even though my expectations for the growth were much lower. And then all of a sudden you have this string of bad news, a whole bunch of people selling out, and I think momentum probably makes it even worse these days than ever. 
Well, it and, seems like and people just heard when when there's like unexpected news, people the safest thing to do is just mm. go with the crowd. Mm. You know, you shoot first, ask questions <laughs> later. Mm. Yeah. Uh, and this, is still we'll a, this is still a, a high free cash flow business where most of the money should come out as dividends, even if there's no, not a lot of future growth. Yeah, well, I think it's like potentially looking at a six percent fully franked dividend yield in the next year or two if yeah. earnings hold up. Again, big question mark there. But it's it's the things that. Um, you know, it's just the way the announcements have come that yeah. makes makes you wary. It's just, it's not the like if you're just looking at the numbers, you just go, oh, this is cheap, it's a buy. But it's just the way things have come out, and now you start thinking, oh, you know, it's, well, what's going to happen in February when yeah. they look at the numbers because they're yeah. not forecasting next year yet, and is is Tim Louie going to kitchen sink the earnings somehow? Look, I don't know how, but uh, often when the new CEO comes in, they throw every piece of bad news into the accounts mm. it gets the you know essentially the pin the profit number as low as possible and then that's often when they set their options packages and their future bonuses and they want to maximize that so the best way to do that is to kitchen sink those earnings so is it uh, so my feeling at the moment is let's just be patient see what happens in february it's it's not a disaster but uh, it's really frustrating when you're round trip to the point of having sitting on a 60 percent gain or um, for more for newsletter people that followed it was more like a, you know, it's maybe 35 or 40 percent gain mm. and then just watch that evaporate and then um, you know and then lose some mm. on a situation that on one hand hasn't changed a lot and then on another hand maybe this is the massive change in the business with the insiders selling out that uh, if you have that blanket rule to follow the insiders out you're regretting not doing that yeah this is where it gets difficult isn't it because there's a long period of uncertainty between now and february People are sort of expecting there to be some sort of um, either a profit downgrade or, or some sort of announcement to come out be, um, between now and when the results get published. But this might be like this might be the opportunity. <laughs> Absolutely, like your value instinct kicks yeah. in and says, yeah. "Well, here's all the bad news. It's all out. You've got the momentum selling. It's trading on potentially 12 or 13 times yeah. earnings. Yeah, it, that also assumes that you take amortisation out, yeah. which you can argue about. But you know, it's more of a cash flow number, which is fine. Uh, again, balance sheet's fine." Uh, maybe Tim Louie, uh, I assume I've got his name right, by the way, but um, assuming he, he could be a great CEO, he could mm. be the next great CEO at the company. Mm. But one piece of research I've never seen anywhere, and I'd love to know, uh, although I do have feelings just based on a little bit of experience I've seen over time, is how does a share price or what are the returns from the stock like in the next 10 years after the big founder or insider that's run the business so successfully for so long, leaves mm -hmm. so computer share is one where the business has really struggled since chris morris left but has the business struggled because interest rates have been low and it's just a very mature business at the point mm -hmm. chris morris left or is management to blame is it is it the fact that the new guys taking over stuart crosby i think and um you know are they just not as good as ceo and as not as entrepreneurial as mm -hmm. chris morris was and again you could have a blanket rule of just selling when the insiders mm -hmm. sell out which we did for push pay in the ethical fund and you know, just on mass, the insiders just sold every single share basically, and said, "Okay, well, this is this is bad. We're out." And share prices up 25% <laughs> since then. So uh, there's all these people that have, you know, Harry hindsight's wonderful. You can make all these easy comments about what's happened when it's all happened. But when you're actually in it, um, you know, this is the stock market. It's really hard, and we're at the pointy end of a bull cycle. And again, it's just really hard to find ideas. So I found Smart Group, which I didn't have a history with, and thought balance sheet's good, management's good, and 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 the share price we're buying at a time when actually people were talking very poorly about the company. Mm. Share price was depressed. You know, I think it was up around thirteen dollars not long before. 
and you felt like, oh, that's a good good thing. We finally got, you know, for me personally, you've got one right here. Uh, and then it gets to $12.50 and it's like, oh, should, oh, maybe should we sell it because you've essentially got four years of returns mm. in two or three months. And then you think, oh, well, the CEO is good and he's added value and we're long-term investors and all these sort of things. It's okay, we'll just hold now and see what happens. And here you are, a month later, <laughs> the insiders are all gone, the share price is down 40%, 50%, yeah. um, well, and you're in a whole the, different situation. One of the, I guess, differences, I guess, with you know founder leaving, though, because it, it can be quite different depending on how they do it, I guess, like if it's kind of planned over a long period of time, but... I think this could be wrong, but wasn't it kind of a surprise that um, he left as well? Um, uh, it wasn't, it wasn't. He actually, 12 months ago, took a sabbatical, took his long service leave, yeah. and people thought he wasn't going to come back, and that's actually why the share price dipped down to right. $8. And then he came back and said, no, I'm, I'm going to stay in the business. And he did sell some shares, but it was only a quarter of what he'd sold, which you know, I don't think that's the worst thing in the world. And um, it all, all looked good and he's back in charge, share price goes up and a few of those cyclical headwinds that people worried about abated. Uh, you know, the margins were holding up within the business. And then um, he turns around and actually says, no, nah, I'm gone. Mm. So, you know, I don't blame him for leaving or anything. It's, um, you know, it's his life and he's done a marvellous job and he'll go out with applause from everyone who's been invested in the stock mm. over the long term. The, the question is, what do we do as mm. shareholders today? And... It's, it's just lovely in hindsight to have those blanket rules, but mm. there's just so many exceptions on almost on a daily basis you can yeah. pick to. It's just, uh, and I let off in the article, I said, you know, anyone who thinks investing is easy is an idiot. And, um, you know, and then someone was asking <laughs> on the comment section, is there, um, can you compare the situation with Virtus? Uh, we've only been in this stock five months. <laughs> like we were in that stock for six years, it was on the buy list, so it, it's a bit early for that. Um, you know, and I think there's a whole other heap of differences as well, but. Uh, I just think the bottom line is investing is difficult. I think that's the only lesson here for me. Yeah. It does look kind of interesting, though, um, I have to admit, mm. because it's number two in an industry where it's notoriously difficult to get new customers. Um, so it, it, it gets down low enough, it will be a really attractive takeover target mm. for um, perhaps Eclipse. Mm. I don't think Macmillan will be allowed to buy it, but um, another competitor might. And I, get, I think there is there is value there. Yeah, my guess is Eclipse gets cleaned up and once that business is cleaned up, it's got a lot of bits and pieces hanging off the sides. Yeah. And uh, it, I don't know whether you can uh, see this in the remuneration contract for the CEO there, mm. but uh, just an old stock I um, brought to members' attention a while back that worked out really fast, but um, it was a US stock. I actually forget the name now, but... Uh, the CEO came in and to fix up an FDA, um, like essentially a cleanliness type issue, and the world needed the business. It wasn't going anywhere. It provided drips and stuff, so it was absolutely needed. But the, you could tell from the contract that when this guy came in that he was going to sell the business just from the contract, the way it was structured. Mm. So it would be interesting to see if you could see any of that in Eclipse because mm. often there's rewards structured for a fast sale, you know, a big payout if you sell the business. Um, but anyway, I think Eclipse will be taken out yeah. by one of them. Well, Latitude was was pretty clear. I mean, mm. the whole incentive for everyone involved in that company was just to get it get it sold as quick as possible. Mm. I think it's just also difficult. You've got to ask yourself: it's, you know the market's reacted very harshly for yeah. Smart Group, and you're saying, "Well, what does the market know that I don't?" Or why is the market wrong? And some, you know, uh, like Clydesdale was one where I capitulated right at the bottom mm. because my view was that it was the extra surplus capital they had was going to come out as dividends to shareholders or share buyback. 
and we had uh, losses on the stock, so was selling at the bottom was the equivalent of still a $3.50 stock. So I said, well, that's a, in a sense a risk-free $3.50 get-out. Mm. And I thought with everything that happened, look, that's fine. Let's just take it on the chin and got out. Um, you know, with Smart Group, I don't, I don't feel like capitulating. I feel there's enough here to at least hang on. Mm. You know, the balance sheet's in great nick, a few other bits and pieces, and I think we're just, I'm just going to sit here and bide our time. It's, um, hopefully we'll see the CEO transition mm. happen in February, and hopefully Tim Louie will hear from him, and, uh, and then we'll see, see whether we get any more confidence out of that. Okay, that's enough about Smart Group. Let's move on to um, Mineral Resources, which is a business that I um, wrote about well, about a week ago now. And I also bought to the Dragon's Den, which got thoroughly thrashed by everyone. No one liked it except me. <laughs> that's not true. We liked bits and pieces. It was the price. We were not necessarily comfortable with. Yeah, so let me explain why Mineral Resources um, was kind of interesting. Well, it was interesting, first of all, because I spent um, two or three weeks looking at it, and then all of a sudden um, it was mentioned in the Soda Investment Conference, and the price suddenly jumped. So I quickly scrambled together the Dragon's Den and presented it before it started rising even further. Um, but for me, it was interesting because um, I'd read about a deal they had done um, on the lithium side of the business that just looked extraordinary to me. And then when I went back and looked at the company, I thought, this is actually a much better quality business than I thought it was. And I think that's the kind of opportunity that can still work in today's market where it's really difficult. There's money flowing all over the market. People are picking over ideas. Um, and there's very few easy ways to make money. The only real way to, to find opportunity now is to, to find an insight that other people don't have, is to, to pick through something that people are um, actively avoiding. Um, and mineral resources was interesting because it, it – it doesn't really fit neatly into any single basket. It's a mining services company that also owns mining assets, and it's a model that's never really been followed before. And so I, I got the feeling that a lot of analysts didn't really know how to value this or how to even um, think about um, analyzing it. And so as I went through some broker reports, um, it was pretty clear that um, it was being valued incorrectly from the way I would look at it. Um, so to break it down, mineral resources, the main part of the business is a mining services business, which is dominated by crushing. So when you are building a mine, yeah, you have to um, dig up ore and you have to um, process it. But before you can process it, you, you have to um, crush the rock down into a manageable size. And crushing isn't just a random um, act of destruction that, that breaks rock apart. It's a really careful engineering process where you um, take large rock sizes and you turn them into deliberately small rock sizes. So you have to crush things at particular particle sizes and those particle sizes have to be consistent and uniform. Crushing is a mechanical process so it's quite um, it's quite tricky to build something that's reliable and also it's very energy intensive so you have to build something that's that's cost effective, that's reliable and that's, that's very um, um, accurate in, in how it crushes things. So, and it's got to be in the middle of nowhere as and well. And you've got to actually build it and run it in the middle of nowhere often. So it's, it's actually quite a difficult part of the operation, but it's absolutely critical. If you crush poorly or you crush unreliably, your entire mining operation just falls apart. So it's a, it's, it's a fail point in any mining operation. And it's a, I think that sort of explains why 
um, mineral resources can make good returns from it. Now, now these guys actually run the world's largest independent crushing business. So they go out and build specific um, crushes and operate those crushes um, for different um, commodity groups and different miners. Um, as, as an example, BHP, Rio and Fortescue, three big iron ore miners all use um, mineral resources crushing business. So does um, Australia's biggest gold miner, Newcrest. So they have a really um, fantastic list of clients. But it didn't always start out that way. They actually started out um, crushing for really crappy marginal miners. And as they were doing that, um, the business, they just got good at building crushing in terms of um, technology and reliability. And they got so good at doing it that they then started doing it cheaper than the major miners and major contractors. And so they claim to be the the cheapest in, in, in Australia. Um, it's a really complex explana- explanation for why that's the case. Part of that rests with um, good crushing design. So they just build design units that are better than anyone else. But a lot of it is also to do with um, an infrastructure style advantage. So they've actually built, when you think about WA, it's this enormous geographic, um, is, think about WA and it's this enormous geography um, and there's mines scattered all over that state. And because uh, crushing is both mechanically intensive and extremely important, it, you need to replace parts um, quickly and um, quite often. Um, if, if the crushing um, equipment breaks down, your entire process stops while the part gets replaced and replenished. So Minres actually built a network of um, repair centers all around WA so they can get parts um, and servicing to remote mine sites faster than anyone else. And that kind of helps um, get contracts um, because people know they're going to have less downtime. They can guarantee greater uptime. Um, And in that sense, it reminded me a little bit of Babcorp, which is a simple business with a really strong um, kind of distribution advantage. And they've built a distribution advantage in WA. So I think that's a really important part of that business. And, And crushing volumes have been growing. And as it grows, they can actually build, the more crushing plants they build, the better they get at building them, um, the more they can recycle <laughs> um, designs, and um, the more designs they do, the better they get at building designs. So it's, it's a business that just, uh, that just seems to get better as it gets bigger, and it's been growing at sort of 15% every year for about 20 years or so. Um, and really, there's no reason that shouldn't continue. They've got um, plenty of opportunity to grow that crushing business even further. So it's built on a wonderful, um, high-quality crushing business that I suspect everyone thinks is a lousy mining services business. And it's true that it's um, it's volatile in terms of the prices that they serve. So iron ore and gold are very volatile commodities. But volatility means that the miners' revenue goes up and down. The volumes don't necessarily move that much. So crushing is exposed to volumes, not necessarily prices. So I think there's an underlying good business here. And um, it's it's being ignored a little bit. It's not been recognised. The quality of the business has not been recognised. Now, on top of that, they then they then got um, they've taken profits from that crushing business and they've reinvested in actual operating mines. And when they operate mines, they take over all the servicing and crushing on those mine sites, and then they take a, a part of the um, equity in the mine, and and so they own multiple sources of revenue. It's actually been a very complicated business model, but one that's been terrifically successful. There's um, one guy, Chris Ellison, who's been who's built that business, um, you know, since the '80s, and um, he's still in charge now. Owns a big chunk of stock. Um, he's been a terrific allocator of capital, 
and he actually built um, Monodolphus as well. He took Monodolphus to market. So he's done it several times, and um, you know, I think he's a terrific CEO. I think this is a really interesting business. I still think it's reasonably priced, although the um, the comments in the Dragon's Den was that um, it was difficult to. Uh, I think Nathan. The rest of the team didn't want to value the crushing business at the multiples that I wanted to value it at. And it was hard to uh, to come to a consensus about valuation. So most agreed that it was a better than average business, but just that the price, we disagreed on price and I thought it was okay and most of the team thought probably it was a bit dear. I think there'll be a chance where maybe we look ahead two years ahead and Vale will get its production going in iron ore and assuming the iron ore price comes down, this is the sort of company that will just get thrown out based on the iron ore price. It's happened and, a lot. And what yeah. we've discovered, and it can get really, really cheap in those situations because yeah. people don't understand how good the crushing business is. And that's the time, I think, if you look in the past, and obviously past isn't always prologue, but this was a stock price that not all that long ago got below $4. That's right, yeah. And this is the sort of stock that people just go, oh, they don't really understand it. They just think it's all based on iron ore price. Mm get sold way, way down, and then because we already, now we understand it, we know it's actually far better quality than what people necessarily think. It's the sort of business where we can make multiples of our money coming back out. Yeah, I agree. At the moment, you need everything to go right from the current price and, um, you know, lithium to work out to really make, um, you know, I guess double your money at least. Yeah, ideally, you'd want to buy this in the bus. I think then it becomes a really good purchase. I don't don't disagree with that, but um, yeah, it's one to keep on your watch list if you don't own it, and... Um, we'll, we'll try and write more about it um, if a better opportunity um, I think it up. just shows we're spending more time now f- focusing and finding more businesses that arguably we probably should have been on top of in the past but have these insider owners that we're just not aware of. You know, we've talked about two companies today yeah. um, where the insider owners we haven't been aware of but have been around for a long time doing this and it's news to us. Uh, and again, we've talked about Smart Group where the founder is so integral to the situation that the share price has mm. fallen nearly 50%. Um, you know, it just shows you how important the management is and why we focus on it so much. And we've got to continue to do more and more analysis to find these companies. I also think it's great that, you know, Mickey's our software guy and he found a, a business that we'd never heard of. I've actually been covering resources for years and years and I'd heard of mineral resources, but I just thought it was a crappy services company. Um, so there, there's still, we've all been doing this a, a long time now, but there's still plenty of stocks in the market that we are yet to uncover and that we'll strive to uncover in the, in the next couple of years, right? Absolutely. Gents, I think that's a good place to, to leave off uh, for 2019. Um, we should quickly thank our producer, Stephanie, who has a really tough job of trying to make us all sound good. <laughs> Mickey, it doesn't always work, does it? <laughs> yeah, I should also thank you, Gaurav, because I, I think people underestimate how difficult it is to actually host these things, and you do it with a plum and make it sound seem really, really easy when absolutely it is not. So thank you. Yeah, we only find that out when someone else tries to, to do this. <laughs> There's a reason why you've only heard me do it once or twice. <laughs> All right, um, guys, thanks very much for, for joining me today. Um, we'll be back. We're going to take a break over um, the rest of December and a little bit of January. But we'll be back um, sort of early, mid-January with more podcasts. And Nathan, the content will start again on the... Yeah, we're officially back on the 6th, but uh, I know a lot of people are on holidays, so we won't try and pump out too much output over those first couple of weeks. Mm-hmm. Uh, I really want people just to the team to focus on new ideas and without without having to spend a lot of time writing and publishing. So um, and we've got, obviously we've got reporting season in February, so then you'll get slaughtered when everyone gets back from <laughs> after the long weekend. Okay, till then, have a nice holiday, take a break from investing, and as always, thanks for listening.